If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. This is the Change Physician, episode 257. <laughs> Welcome back to The Change Physician. I'm Melissa Cady, the Challenge Doctor with my co-host from the West Coast, Dr. Kevin Kikaro, bringing to you today a little navigation around the fun medical system we have in America. Um, you know, we talked off air a little bit about um, the challenges that patients have with navigating the medical system. And Kevin was uh, so astutely reminded me that it's difficult for anybody, not just patients. So um, we thought it was worthwhile discussing and um, had some examples and some ideas of of helping ourselves in general as a society with navigating this um, medical system in dire need of uh, rehab, uh, if there's any other word for it. Um, and I know, Kevin, you've you've actually written on this topic. What was the name of the Oh, I, I just wrote a really, this was a long time ago. I wrote this uh -huh. thing that basically said how to get what you need from your doctor's visit. And it's a 70 right. page book. And it really just covers seven questions that you should be able to know and understand. And as a physician, what those seven questions are the ones that we should be asking quick patients, the ones that we learned in medical school. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of, I just tried to wrote it, write it in, in layperson language with the idea that you could go through these questions if you have a problem that you're going to see your doctor for, and then you can very succinctly answer them and frame it so you can optimize the time that you have in your, your appointment with your physician. Um, and part of that is because there's, there, there's quite a bit of bad information on this. So if you like these news articles by people who are not physicians and are the healthcare journalists or whatever, and they're like, Create your big old list of questions and go in and ask all your questions that you have. That I, I have nothing against collecting a list of questions, but you are looking at a system that you have limited time. So you need to make sure that the questions that you are asking are the right ones. Mm -hmm. And if you have 42,000 things wrong with you, you cannot. You cannot, I'm going to repeat this, you cannot expect to go into a physician's office with a laundry list of terms and have them all addressed within that first visit. Right. And certainly whether it's a consultation or a follow-up or whatever, it just, it, it doesn't do that. And are you being cruel, Dr. Kukaro? No, I'm actually being honest with you. Um, and so the, the number, like the number one thing I would say, if you're going to navigate the healthcare system is know why, what is the reason behind your visit? The number one like the top reason that you're going to go. Is it because of, you know, you're sick and you're coughing up blood Is it because you need, you feel like you have, uh, you're of age to get a colonoscopy. Um, are you having issues with your blood pressure or you're having issues with your weight, but you want to make sure that it's codified into a single topic. And then I would say, like a lot of people, the physicians say, oh, I hate Dr. Google. I would not say Dr. Dr. Google is a bad thing. If you have a set of symptoms, Google them. But codify those symptoms down and be able to recognize that just because Dr. Google said something doesn't necessarily mean it's true. All you're trying to do is gather that information so that you can assess that. 
Um, so that would be my first step, though, is really no, no. And, pe and people may think, well, I know I'm going to the doctor. I, I have pain. Well, that is not the question. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I, I'm sick. I'm going to the doctor. What do you mean by being sick? Where in your body do you feel this? What are the sensations that you're describing? When did it start? What makes it better? What makes it worse? Have you ever had something similar before, right? And then, and then at the end, and I don't have this in my book, then you could add the stuff. Well, I, you know, I put my symptoms in and these are some of the things that Dr. Google was saying, what are your thoughts, right? Not in a way of, I Googled this, and this is what Dr. Google says, now write me a prescription for my amoxicillin or whatever ridiculous antibiotic for my viral infection. Um, <laughs> but in such a way that you can maybe, because you know, physicians are not, are not infallible either. And if you could say, this is are some of the things, or even frame it in a better way would be say, you know, I looked at my symptoms because of the internet and this is just the way things are. We all do it now. Um, and these are some of my concerns that they said. They said this. I'm, they said this could possibly be cancer. I'm worried about that. Right? This could be this. We read really that. That because as a physician, it becomes very easy to to eliminate those fears. And we sometimes forget, as physicians, that there's a lot of fear-driven behavior here, such that it a lot of times the visit is is needs to be reassurance. You can't say no, nothing's wrong with you. That's not reassuring. Hmm. You can say, well, these are the problems that you presented here with. These are the things that I'm thinking of, and these are the next actions that I want to take. Do you have any other concerns? This, I think it's this, this, this. Well, I can understand how you see those concerns. Sometimes Google overreacts on these things a little bit. Here's why I don't think, bunk, 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 bunk. Let's, you know, let's do the next step, and then we'll follow up, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it does take some prep to get the most out of our healthcare system in the yeah. way that it's set up and it's not going to change anytime soon. Yeah. I think it's important what you said there about, um, because I think two things addressing the fear or pain point there, that whatever their anxiety is about, because that's where they start going sometimes down uh, a path where it, unless they understand, which means you have to explain, they don't have to become a doctor by the answer, but they have to understand maybe your thought process a little bit, so that they can process it in a way that can allay that anxiety um, because they don't have the perspective or experience. Like I tell people all the time, I, I, I don't know how many times I've said this, you, there's tons of information and some misinformation out there, but you don't have the perspective or the context that someone who's done 10 to 20 or 30 years of medicine has. So it's hard to frame it and understand it in the context of what's going on. So um, I gave an example to a patient just recently, and I said, yeah, this person was feeling like they had toe pain, and they read about how to do buddy splint and how to like make sure you protect a broken toe. Problem is she didn't have any diagnostic abilities, and she didn't realize it was dislocated. So for three months, it remains dislocated, and every piece of connective tissue has been stretched out. It makes this more difficult. And so that's perspective. That's context. That's diagnostic abilities just because there's a symptom doesn't mean it relates to your condition. So um, anyway, that was just uh, important, I think, to give some example. If there's a non-physician out there thinking, well, how could I mess that up? You know, well, it can, and it does. It does happen. So um, anyway, I, I like that you're sharing some of, you want to share any more of those little points or a couple of them? Well, I talked to you about you interject there with. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> No, I'm letting you inter interrupt, interject there. Okay. Because my, I guess, so my number one thing, 
you can see how we work on this podcast by the yes. fly <laughs> is to make sure you have a specific question, right? And if you want to get information on that specific question, that's fine. Um, and being able to frame that question is I already kind of touched into, you know, onset, location, quantity, quality, quantity, how much it hurts or what are the, what are the kind of characteristics of it? Um, that's the quality factor. Have you ever had it before? That's really important because if something looks like a duck, cocks like a duck and you had a duck in the past, it's probably a duck again and you just have to repeat it. That can be very useful. What have you tried that worked? What didn't, what didn't, what have you tried that didn't work? And then the last one is things like what else is going on? And um, particularly for for um, things that have been going on for a long period of time, you know, not like you you fell down, your leg hurts, you can't move your leg, and you think you broke it, right? That's super easy. We examine it, and then if we think there's an x-ray involved, we x-ray it, and then that tells you whether or not it's broken. But if you perhaps have had leg pain after falling, and it's been 6, 8, 9, 10, 12, 16 years later, mm-hmm. the what else becomes really, really important when we're starting to move into the more of this, the, uh, the illness factor rather than broken bone stuff. So um, I always love that. It's like, what else is going on? What else? When, you know, what else was happening when this started? Yeah. And um, and that's probably from our background in pain is because you find some really, really interesting things that are associated with onset for pain conditions. And, you know, outside of this, there's a lot of data on um, coexisting trauma mm-hmm. and um, how that kind of stuff works with the brain. So the what else is a, is a big question for me. Um, the other thing I think is vitally important, and I think you'll probably get into this, is know who you're seeing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of opacity now in healthcare, and who you think you are seeing is not necessarily your doctor. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of what are you know, you know non-physician providers is the is the term I think from Medicare and the nurse practitioners, physical assist or physician assistants, et cetera, or associates as they want to be called now. Um, and that is totally okay, but you need to know who you are seeing. And unfortunately, uh, no matter what the propaganda may want to be spouted out there, the learning is very different and the education is very, very different. I will tell you, as a physician, with the number of years that we have and the training that we go undergo and the number of clinical hours we, we have before we even become attendings, there your, your spectrum of knowledge is so broad as compared to somebody who doesn't have that training that what that allows you to do is to see, to see the things that aren't there and see the things that are there. So that's a long way to say is... is everything that looks like a duck and squawks like a duck is not necessarily a duck. Most of the time, 95% of the time, it's a, it's a duck. But what you want is somebody who's been around a long enough so that if it you know, looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, but then the, the feet don't look like a duck, they can say, you know what? I don't think this is a duck and treat it differently. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, it it is... This is such a loaded topic. Someone's, oh my God, I'm a nurse practitioner. I've been practicing for 25 years and I'm so great. That's fine and dandy, but you're not a physician. Mm-hmm. So if we all kind of stayed in our tracks and we appreciated where the knowledge was, that would be 
beneficial to society. And everybody wants, well, I'm a great knowledge practitioner and this is a bad doctor. That's fine. But let's look at the bill curve of distribution here. There are some really horrible doctors. I'm not going not, not gonna to say otherwise, but there's a, a lot of astounding doctors. And when you kind of look at the bell curve of of what a, a physician education is as compared to the bell, the bell curve for where a non-physician provider is on the on it. The, the overlap is, there's a segment there, um, but those top tiers are quite different. And I do a lot, what, in my current job now, I do a lot of chart review. Mm -hmm. And um, there, there's a lot of people who are getting treated like their problem is a duck. When I'm looking at the paper going, that's not a duck. What are you doing? And um, it, and there's some unfortunate results that come out of that. So I, and I, so I just want people to need to understand if you're going into the emergency room, if you're going into the urgent care, or you're even going to see in a, into a primary care's office, understand who it is that you are seeing. Again, that's not necessarily a good nor bad thing, but you don't want it to be obscured and you're thinking you're seeing Dr. Smith and you're not. Um, and sometimes you're going to want to see Dr. Smith and other times you're going to want to see, you know, nurse practitioner Jones or physician associate. Uh, what's another common name? I can't think of a common last Don. name. Don, <laughs> right. Um, and because, because it becomes, it can be very important. I, I will say the biggest trend that I, I have is specialist office who are just using non-physician um, providers as compared to having the, the fellowship trained or, you know, physicians seeing their new consults. Cause I, I, I just think this is like in a healthcare standpoint, the most important inner, the most important appointment is the first consultation. So you would probably want to have the person who knows the most see something in initial consultation, but particularly in things like procedural based specialties, they're too busy. They don't want to see anybody. So they just, they kind of knock it off and then they're treating everybody like ducks. Oh, the duck comes in, and the first thing what we're going to do is this, and you're going to do this algorithm, blah, 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 blah. And again, a lot of times they're not ducks. Yeah. 99, 95% of the time might be a duck, but you know, every once in a while there may be a sparrow or a hawk or a, a chicken. And you don't want to yeah. treat the chicken like you are you know, treating the duck. But so I yeah. know who it is that you are seeing and why. Oh, definitely. And algorithm medicine is probably good in acute uh, emergent situations, but when you're dealing with chronic ailments and complexities and not just typical ducks, you, you need to step back and not necessarily use traditional algorithm. Well, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to put down algorithmic medicine because there actually is a lot of data on yeah. algorithms, but right. the, the key piece of an algorithm is to know if you are deviating from it, why you're deviating from it and to have the knowledge piece understanding why you're you know that this is we are deviating from the algorithm because right and for the physicians out there who think oh algorithm medicine is no good and we're never going to do it then i would say and go look at the data on algorithms because what they're trying to do is eliminating eliminating biases in your decision making and providing a path that's based on the best quality evidence and when you start looking at it it is really frankly shocking because algorithms can do so well but the strength of of somebody, you know, your knowledge in that situation is just recognize when the algorithm doesn't fit, mm -hmm. and that's sort of the key key factor there. And you have to be able to understand why it doesn't fit. That's the other thing because some people say, "Well, I just know it doesn't." You know, I don't believe in algorithms. I'm not going to follow that. Well, why are you following? Because it doesn't. I'm because my gut says otherwise. I'm like, don't, dude, dude. That's the whole reason we have them is because your gut's wrong. <laughs> like your gut <laughs> is wrong like so often. It's ridiculous. Um, you have to yeah. have something beyond your gut that tells you it's wrong. 
Yeah, you know, and I agree with you on the whole like um, physician and and uh, I guess mid levels what they say too. But um, it's there is definitely a variability, like you were talking about the bell curve. But there is a. Um, I was getting frustrated not too long ago. I had some prescriptions and they kept referring to the person by Doctor So and So. I'm like, that's a nurse practitioner. And then they later in the conversation say doctor again. And I'm like, they're not a doctorate. Well, at least in my mind, they were using doctor for every single person they're referring to. And I'm just like, not that it technically mattered for the situation, but it was, it makes, it reminded me of how a lot of patients or other people don't know who really is prescribing or doing the things for them. Are you going to say something? No, just but yeah, it, when they're obfuscate, your obfuscation. I think when you when they're blinded. You know, like the well, is when you're when you're sort of obscuring the data by not, but you're you're letting it kind of go. Yeah, right? you could yeah. correct it, but but you don't, right? Yeah. Or someone addresses you, you're not a physician, and someone says, "Oh, doctor so and so," and you just don't correct them. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, that's a problem. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it when I introduced myself as Dr. So-and-so in front of the GI doctor and uh, in front of the patient and the husband is referring to him as doctor and then talking to me by says miss to me. And it's just like, it's typical, you know, well, that's gender bias. And that's, yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's very much annoying. But um, anyway, the, the thing is, it's like you, um, there's a lot of patients that don't even know that their mid-level is not a physician and they reference them. And especially when I dig into some history, you know, preoperatively before an anesthetic or whatever. And so um, it just makes you realize how, how little people know. And, and I think we also do a bad job, you know, um, it doesn't help the systems trying to like clump everyone together. Uh, and there's some fight back, I think, from some medical systems where the Physicians like, you know, we're already burned out. You don't need to keep mini minimizing us to like our well, value. I, I hate the word provider. It's oh, yeah. the stupidest term ever. Provide yeah. what? Provider means you're giving something, you know, yeah. I'm providing you this. The only time I feel okay with it is because when we're in a team model, anesthesia provider, we're providing anesthesia. That's like the only time I feel like I can have a universal term because I'm not sure if it's the doc or the CRNA that's going to take them back. And so that's the only time I feel like it's okay because I don't know what else to say other than the nurse anesthetist or the CRNA or our physician will take you back. It's just a lot of words. Um, so like I kind of get that, but not when you're you're trying to basically tell everyone to talk to each other as if each person's a provider. Like, no, here's a physician, here's a tech, here's, you know, the nurse or whatever. Um so you mentioned like knowing who you see, like, I feel like there's this, like, just wanting to know who to see, not just who you're seeing, but who do I see? Like, I think there's a big important thing to say here is that, you know, you talked about not having enough time to really talk about all your concerns. Well, let's look at insurance world versus the cash world. And it's no surprise that there's a lot of frustration and physicians hear me out. There's a lot of unspoken frustration and some spoken from patients that they don't have time with physicians. And sometimes we get blamed, even though it's really a product of the insurance world. And so you see physicians going off into these hybrid or these 
cash only, and we've talked about direct primary care a lot, where you can offset that frustration, lack of connection, not addressing, you know, maybe it's just three or four complaints, you know, and you could maybe do it in a whole hour if you, if people are willing to pay the money. So it doesn't have to be super, super expensive, but it tends to be a little more expensive if you're, although you have to look at the deductibles, the premiums and everything else are paying. I can't say it's necessarily that much more expensive, but they're trapped in a system that they believe is supposed to be serving them and it's not serving them in the way they need to. Well, we, we get into the you know, people because our insurance is so it's so outrageous what people pay on insurance mm -hmm. that when you that you want some you want something for that. Yeah. And if you don't have that knowledge and you feel like crap and then you go and see your doctor and then they're like, you need chicken soup and rest because you got you know, some sort of cold virus or whatever, that is not, you're not feeling that may actually be great value, Yeah. but you don't, that perceived value is very, very low when your healthcare premiums are $700 a month. And maybe you have to pay a $20 copay and maybe you have a high deductible on top of that. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's sort of like the balancing act from from a healthcare from a physician who's working in the system kind of is to recognize that there's value and there's perceived value and a lot of high value care is perceived as low value care mm -hmm. you know yeah. we know that getting someone who has a new episode of back pain and there's no red flags associated with that that getting imaging certainly within the then the first four weeks probably even a little bit longer than that is associated with worse outcomes that is low value care and there's been multiple studies in the 1970s documenting this yeah. and yet um it becomes a very difficult conversation to have and if you want to just you know, when your Prescani scores or their stupid, ridiculous point scoring system that's associated with increased mortality and morbidity, not good stuff, folks, um, you would just order it. And um, anyway, that, but that's, but you can see kind of why is because you're spending a lot, 700 plus month, a month on healthcare. And then you're going in because most, and this is the, the, the other hill, I guess this would be the third point here. The most of the time that you're going to see your physician for is to reassure, to have reassurance that bad things aren't present. Yeah. We get ill and we don't feel good. But the, but the things that we're looking for are bad things that get badder over time. Those are things like, you know, bacterial infections that don't clear, um, autoimmune conditions that are, that can worsen cancerous conditions that can worsen um there's some other weird things uh out there they're rare but it's those bad things that we we want to reach or that we don't have broken bones right so you're not walking on a leg that's broken yeah bad things are relatively easy to exclude and we're relatively good at doing that in the healthcare system but be, when we exclude bad things, doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to continue to feel bad. <laughs> like that's the illness portion, and uh, and so really, in people, I've gotten. I mean, I think maybe my mom got mad at me about this. I'm like, you don't go to your doctor to tell them what you have. You go to your doctor for them to tell you what you don't have, and then if it's none of those bad things. Then you get your hell out of that healthcare system and you go back to doing, get good sleep, eat good things, get some rest, make sure you're moving your body and get some tincture of time, you know, chicken soup for the soul there. Um, and because there's, you know, they, they'd be like, why do I feel sick? 
there's a hundred thousand different reasons that you can have, you can feel sick. Yeah. I mean, millions of them, when we start talking about how you you experience the world and these, and symptoms and how symptoms are created and constructed in your brain. And that is a, that becomes a very, very difficult question. Why am I feeling this way? Yeah. But it was well, what isn't associated with feeling this way. And those are way easier to answer. Yeah. And those like essentially the red flags ruling out major things. And if you do have a mysterious thing, it's not going to necessarily kill you right away. I mean, I hate to say it like that. There's, there is most of the time your body's going to heal itself, but if it persists, it, it might take some patience and time to figure things out. And let me give you a good example of something that relates to a few things we want to talk about. One is there's someone locally here, makes tons of money, marketing, all this stuff, had discovered, um, I mean, there was like some serious major change in his abilities to do anything in life and found out there was some mold toxicity. He was like, not just a little bit out of the range. It was like five digits, like super high, but there had been episodes of flooding in the place he lived, like all kinds of stuff that probably was contributing to the situation. And it took time for him to kind of get things back. And, um, but the same person is big on wellness and getting connected with a lot of people that push a lot of stuff, including full body MRIs. <laughs> and so, you know, where I'm going with this, but, you know, we're talking about navigating the medical system. So when I talk about navigating the medical system, I'm thinking, okay, rule out the major things, know who to go see. Sometimes if it's not acute, obvious stuff, you know, you might need someone who thinks a little outside the box. I mean, even traditional medical doctors, we both agree, do not understand pain in the way that they probably should. And we can cause more harm than good a lot of times in the medical system. And so there are people out there that look at things from a different perspective. But there's a lot of people that are doing that that are also going into this wellness realm of let's go and look at everything and just take a scan and maybe you can find a cancer that you wouldn't have known about. But navigating yourself through this wellness arena is also like to optimize your health is also a concern too, because let me just say, I just heard a podcast with this person and someone who has a business here and they promote this full body MRI. And they understand the same concern, like finding stuff you really shouldn't like have to worry about. But even that person who thinks outside the box is saying, yeah, the, the quality of this MRI is so great that you can pick up on things like um, bulging discs. And, not, and I'm like, oh, God, like you don't even get that part yet either. You're like overly associating, you know, structural changes with pain when pain is not a structural thing is an experience created within the nervous system of the body. Anyway, we can go on and on about this because you and I get passionate about it. Well, or or more importantly, what are age-related changes and what's not? So like, and that's that's a common one is is bulging or degenerative changes in your spine is the same as having male pattern baldness or wrinkles on your forehead. They're age-related change. They're not associated with as a causative factor with pain and it's poorly understood. Um, and the, and the risks of all that stuff is to find stuff that basically means nothing and think it's something. Yeah. And they you know, said the, it's the, very important to find. Oh, no, like, it's, oh. and it's, it's such a bunch of crap. Like there's, so there's another guy, um, 
I'm, I'm just, you know, Peter Diamandis, right? Have you, he, he is a physician by background and he's a yeah. brilliant dude. Uh, went to MIT and then his parents wanted him to be a doctor. And I think he went, was either, did he go to ophthalmology? But he's not, he's the guy, he has been a businessman and that's really what he wanted to do. He created the SpaceX program and he's all about like, you know, mining asteroids and stuff. And I'm on his list and they always, oh, we can, you know, we can find the cancers with the stuff. And I'm like, dude, you're a physician and you should at least recognize the fact that when you're offering unproven therapies, the reason we have research is to make sure that there is a benefit to these particular therapies, because for finding all these incidental things, like the, the, you screen, you know, 10,000 people and maybe one of them have a pancreatic mass that is cancerous and that is bad. The other 9,000 of them have other things that are maybe not because we have, you know, your bodies are producing cancers all the time. Your immune system destroys them. And there's a difference between the ones that escape surveillance and your immune system and the ones you don't. And most of them don't escape. And so this overabundance of screening cause harm. I remember this guy who had, um, I think he was a radiologist, did one of these. It wasn't the whole body MRI because this was 20 years ago, but it was like one of those CT scans and he was healthy and non-smoker, blah, blah, blah. They see a lung mass. They, uh, oh my goodness, there's this thing in your lung and it, um, we don't know what it is. It looks kind of benign, but we don't really know what it is. Well, then they plant the seed in your brain because now you're thinking, well, what is this thing in my lung? You know, it must be cancer. It's got to be something bad. They try to do a needle biopsy. They can't get it or the pathology is inconclusive. They don't have enough tissue to do it. He goes to an open biopsy, has a thoracotomy, and they take out a chunk of your lung, which is a thoracotomy is a big operation associated with a lot of persistent pain, by the way. Um, and then something went wrong. And I think then he lost like half of his lung. Hmm. It was freaking benign. So these so people think that the screening, it, oh, it's, it's, it doesn't potentially hurt you. Yes, it can potentially hurt you. Yeah. And um, most, I'd say outside of, there are very few screening tests that actually have good data to support them. And this isn't some medical conspiracy. And this isn't because healthcare is horrible. This is because there's not a lot of data on this stuff. And it's easy to sell you a bunch of garbage than it is to do the research and prove that something works or not. Mm-hmm. So the, the one... Um, the life is with lifeline and screening and they take everybody and now they're ultrasounding your carotids, right? And they're trying to find, oh, you have uh, carotid stenosis, but you're asymptomatic. And what are you going to be doing for this anyway? Is lifestyle related change? You're not going to send someone to a carotid end arteriectomy where the risk of stroke with a procedure for something that is asymptomatic. But they get another test to do something. But they get another test. And then <laughs> and um in hospitals, they they contract with these hospitals uh, to do it because I think that the company somehow gets, I don't know how they do it. They do it for free. Free. You know, that's the other thing. If it's free, there is someone's paying the price somewhere. Yeah. And then they refer them off to the cardiologists or the, you know, the the vascular surgeons. And then you got people getting operations done for things that are not symptomatic. And people say, well, that's preventative. Well, not necessarily. And there's high risk associated with this stuff. You know, having chest pain and people thinking, you know, going in for a cardiac catheterization where they go in and like, oh my God, you're having chest pain. So let's look at the vessels and we'll see whether there's any stenosis in your heart vessels or not, right? And not you're ha- not because you're having in a, a myocardial infarction right now where we need to open up something and we can tell, but just because you're having chest pain. That particular procedure also has significant risks associated with it. I'll never forget the guy I took care of who had a cardiac catheterization for chest pain with with 
quote unquote clean coronaries, but he had a stroke on the table, wiped out half his brain. So these are, you know, these are it, it, it just because someone does something doesn't mean it's a good thing. And this kind of returns to this point of like, know what it is that you're going in there for. Like, I cannot state, well, I just want every, I just want someone to check me out and tell me everything's good. Well, I'll look at you. How do you feel? I feel great. Well, everything's good. <laughs> like, you know, why, don't, don't go poking around and looking at this stuff uh, unless there's a reason to do so. Yeah. Well, and it makes you think of CYA or CYP. Are you covering yourself, your own, you know what, um, or CYP covering your patient? Like, what's more important? Like this litigious society, you're feeling like, well, I I need to do this so that, you know, the insurance companies, you know, all these like stipulations, like um, they're expecting it in order to get something else done, or um, I don't want the patient to sue me. But then you're thinking, okay, well, what's more important? Like, what's right for the patient. So that's when you have to go and you have to explain to them the pros and cons and those things. So they understand. And then you document that, you know, well, and so- also understand your own biases, because as much as we hate to say it, because I thought you were going to say CYP cover your pocketbook. <laughs> if you, if you are getting reimbursed for a procedure, you are going to be biased to do that procedure. Then this is not mean. This is not Dr. Kukaro being cruel. This is data. We are, you're biased to do the things that benefit, that benefit you in some fields, interventional pain being one spine surgery, being another interventional cardiology being another one. Um, there is a high degree of bias when they're not even, when we, there are procedures that are being done that we know and have evidence should not be done and yet are still being done. And the only explanation we can come to is basically is people say that either they don't know what the literature says or they ignore the literature because they think that, you know, this is where you're you're ignoring the algorithm, not because you have a reason to ignore the algorithm, but because you think you know better just inherently that the algorithm is wrong or that data is wrong. And um, and we can increase some substantial harms associated with that. There's a... Um, I've been following him for years now, but John Mandrola, who's an electrophysiologist, I think he's out on the East Coast. Uh, he used to write for, I don't know, Medscape. He, they now have a like one of those little Substack things. Mm. And um, what I really enjoy about about his his kind of reviews is he, <laughs> well, one he's he's will be critical of his own specialty, which seems like. Um, you know, you get these specialists in their own specialty. They don't want to talk about anything bad, despite the fact that you can, you know, they in the back room, they'll say, oh, that guy's doing this and he shouldn't be doing it. Um, and then the other thing is he, he, I don't, I wish I had the skill set he had on being able to, to, to dissect a paper. I can look at the gross stuff and kind of, kind of look at it, but they can find, they, they know, they understand the statistics, which is definitely my weak spot. Yeah. And man, he has some uh, some really really interesting thoughts as well as some of the very long discussions on particularly these cardiology interventions and the astounding lack of data or things that are being published that are simply not true mm-hmm. or you know people are saying well we this procedure is beneficial because we feel like it's based it benefits the patient and they liked it I mean a lot of times that's what it's coming down to. Yeah. Um, ignoring the risk of harms associated, really seeing no no difference between, say, a placebo intervention or the sham intervention, um, and it, and that becomes really scary. So I guess that would be the another point here is not doing something can be 
as important a, a intervention as doing something. And I would say a lot of times it's more important than the interventions that are that are being prescribed out there. Yeah. So and that kind of so that kind of goes in the, the one just before this. A lot of times what you're looking for is reassurance, not necessarily the answer of a cause. Reassurance is not these bad things. And then not having something done is often the appropriate response for a lot of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um I was actually I wrote a note here when you said about how imaging can hurt um patients. I was the same thing, beliefs and imaging, you know can hurt patients or, you know, even this, um, and beliefs being maybe their beliefs, their perceived value, what's important, like something needs to be given to me or done to me. Um, well, you're, you're lodging a little thought in there, right? So, so not only like it, though we call it um, imaging and in, in acute low back pain with the absence of red flags being low value care. It's not even low value. It's harmful because we have actual data that says, if you get an x-ray or MRI within the first four weeks, those people do worse over time. Mm -hmm. Than those who haven't had it done and then they people say well how can that occur well just like every, you know me and you or me especially not you you still look like you're you know much younger than me um <laughs> you have these age-related changes here and a lot of physicians don't understand the difference between age-related change and pathological related change and so then we say it's this age-related change is the quote cause of your back pain you have the bulging disc and that gets lodged in your spine we just talked not on this one, but a little while back, we talked about beliefs and how important beliefs are. That's the cause. Of, that's where my pain's coming from. Well, then you attune your brain into seeking these sensations, thinking that they're dangerous, which is a big thing for pain. And then every time you move and you feel a twinge that you may have not noticed in the past, you think, oh, it's my bad back. Well, it's my bad back. Well, it's my bad, bad back. You stop moving. You start getting degenerate. De you start degen you know, get muscle atrophy. You're not getting movement anymore, which increases the signal saying, hey, something's changing down here. And you get kind of this downward spiral in there. And you can't, the, the difficult thing about imaging is you can't, you can't take out what you've already heard. You know, mm -hmm. I think I said this in another podcast episode, but getting like an image of your body, your internal body is sort of like walking in on your grandparents having sex. It's like, it could be completely normal, but it's not something that you can ever get out of your brain and may come up at weird times the rest of your <laughs> life. So yeah. don't do it, right? You know, have the doctor go in and look in on your grandparents and yeah. then they can just say, hey, this is perfectly normal, but something you don't want to see. Yeah. Um, it's funny you said that because I purposely got an MRI and had someone just because I had legitimate history of low back pain or sciatic kind of feelings in the past that was legitimizing my cash pay MRI. <laughs> so it had all these crazy findings and yeah, I'll never forget, but I'm, I immediately replaced the thought with, Oh yeah, but I'm, I'm knowledgeable in the understanding, even though it's in my subconscious, I, I always tell myself my, my spine is strong. And I've actually told some patients who start talking about their degenerative stuff and all of whatever, and they might ask a little something. And I just say, you know, your, your spine, cause they're worried I'm going to hurt it. Cause they're going on their side. I'm like, your spine is so strong. It is incredible. And it is able to adapt to so many things and, and basically trying to like give them positive words about their, their spine. And I don't think enough physicians realize, I mean, I know a lot of physicians do, but I don't think people realize how powerful your words are and what you say. And a couple of people have actually almost looked like they had a relief on their face. Like, like, and they said, thank you in a way where it was almost like, 
wow, I needed like I needed someone like physician authority to say that my spine is not fragile. I mean, I I don't I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's pretty powerful. Just one word you say can they remember some people it's like like 10 years later they'll remember that one word you said so oh um, words are words are insanely powerful the um so the, whether the, yeah oh Sorry. yeah i was gonna say the one i really remember was and I, I may have used this example before was a guy who came and saw me um when i was doing pain and he's like you know kind of hobbled in and oh well what's your story Oh, I've had back pain. He goes, you know, I had, I had, came in 1977. So that's one thing when you can have the immediate onset where you know the date, when they know the date and time, there's a story there. Mm -hmm. Came in 1977. He goes, I'll never forget it because I went in and I, my back was hurting and the doctor got an x-ray and came out and he said, you know, in, uh, in 10 years, you're going to need an operation. In 20 years, you're going to be, a, you're going to be, you're not going to be able to work. And in 30 years, you're going to be in a wheelchair based on this one x-ray. And the guy looked at me very proudly and he said, the only thing that hasn't come true yet is I'm not in a wheelchair. Now, um, I had his imaging and he had actually post-surgical changes there, but there were certainly not some, you know, cancerous mass that eaten away his spine. There was no reason that he couldn't walk. And I just remember thinking, um, that's pretty ballsy to pronounce this prophecy and like prophecies in a lot of scary movies, yeah. the words create them can cause them to happen. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to is, I, and I'm trying to find, I can't find it now, but you made me think there was an editorial and I don't remember what journal it was in um, that, that literally just talked about the power of words and how the, you frame a word, whether, you know, say age-related change sounds natural. Degenerative disc disease sounds pathologic. The way you frame mental illness in such a way, like there's some a lot of data that's saying the biomechanical, or not the biomechanical, the bio, uh, what's the one where it, it's chemicals, they all say it's chemicals in your brain that cause depression, which actually has almost no data to support it. But the the more you you create this belief system that there it's this permanent fixed path pathology within your body, the less people actually improve from it. Mm -hmm. And um I, I would I would certainly, you know, topics is how do you navigate the healthcare system? If you're if you're a a person seeing your doctors, take whatever they say with a grain of salt. And if you're a physician, beware of the power of your words. Mm -hmm. Because if you implant the wrong word, you can and and it and it's that and it's up to you to probe what it is that your your patient is hearing you say. Because you may think that you're completely benign, but unless you like do that reflect back and say, well, you know, this is what we've talked about today. Would you mind that sometimes I'd forget what I, um, I, I want to make sure I'm, I, I remember to tell you everything. Could you kind of reflect back and just tell me what it is that, that you heard me say? Cause sometimes I have a lot of information. Yeah. So that's a, like a teach back. Right. And then you mm -hmm. can hear them. And if they say, yeah, I heard you say that I've got uh, degenerative disc disease and my black, my spine is disintegrating and I can't move anymore. Did you say that? Hopefully you didn't, but if you didn't, you better correct it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Well, it makes me think too, like you want to be honest, realistic, like, and, and, and literally just give people information. And like you said, you want to understand how they're interpreting it is kind of what I'm hearing there. But um, one thing that really bothers me is when, like you said, the whole prophesying, like these negative things, like, always be honest with your patients in the sense of like what the here and now says or shows. But 
I feel like it's really important that physicians don't put limitations on patients on what they can or can't do in the future. If it's not, you know, obviously if you have a broken bone, you need to let it heal. That's different. But like, I've had people tell me that I'll never be able to run again based on my image. Well, and, and that if you're, if you're going to put a limitation, you better have some data that supports that. Yes. Right. Cause that's a common one. Oh, you've got uh age related change in your knees. You should never run again. Um, it's because you've been running so much. Well, that's interesting because when you look at the actual meta-analysis of pinning runners and non-runners, then runners actually had healthier looking knees. Mm -hmm. So is it really that? Or, yeah. oh, you can't play golf because you twist. Really? You're going to yeah. say that? Is I don't know of a single paper that says you're, that movement is bad for back pain. Not a single one. I know a, a crap ton that say it's good for back pain. Yeah. Some of the most harm I feel, other than the direct intervention itself, feel like the most invisible intangible thing that we the biggest harm we've done to patients is what we've made them believe oh and yeah <laughs> i feel like if i was not a physician who understood a little more modern pain science because there's physicians that would have listened to another physician that said you can't run again because i've seen it i've seen people do that if it wasn't for me just you know basically just saying inside i didn't want to laugh at her face but i was just like I'm not going to go there. Like F that uh, that's, I probably shouldn't say that on the podcast, but literally I think, you that, can. I think we're labeled as explicit yeah. for some reason. So I literally like I had to release and let that go because I knew that wasn't true. And my method is I'm going to run. I'll work into it slowly, pace myself, get up there, get my body used to it. And I haven't ran lately because it's like 105 degrees outside um, for the whole summer, but I'm getting back into it again. It's a, a ritual I do. And it's not because I have to run like a crazy woman. I just want, if I need to run away from something, I need to be able to do it. <laughs> so, you know, so that's just part of my multiple things I do for my own fitness. But um, man, the amount, the number of people, I don't even want, I'd probably want to cry if I thought about how many people have been limited in their activity because of the words that came out of a physician's mouth. Oh, I, I think it's astounding. And uh, yeah, there's, there's gotta be, I'm, I'm sure there's gotta be some sort of study on that. I know in, in the, um, in the pain world there is because they had a pretty remarkable, um, it was indigenous back pain in Australia. Mm. And they're, cause when they went in and originally studied the indigenous population, they had really, really low rates of chronic low back pain. Like ridiculous like nowhere and so they thought originally that there's some thing there's a magical maybe genetic thing in these people that they don't have back pain uh, and then they redid it again 10 years later and what they then discovered is the rates of back pain in the indigenous population were the same if not worse than than the overall population but what had changed in that inter interim was the introduction of quote modern healthcare. So you started having clinicians or physicians in that area that were talking about back pain in biomechanical terms. They were doing lots of x-rays, they were labeling things. And you would look at the language. It was another fascinating where they actually looked at the language and what people had been told by their physicians. And it made you want to cry. Mm. Um, if you if you actually know pain data and you actually know what normal age-related change is, um, because it was this stuff where they'd been labeled and these people's lives had been changed forever. And um, uh, I can go into the whole thing about like like back pain being a disease of basically modern healthcare, uh, where there's quite a bit of data that shows that is that as you introduce a modern healthcare system, your rates of chronic low back pain start to skyrocket. Um, 
and it's so what is that you know what's what's behind that and yeah anyway but well, does oh go ahead, go ahead no go i was going to try to return us back on topic of how to navigate healthcare yeah, here go, go. so it's like so the again the, the the biggest thing on um when you're then getting these diagnoses is to then th at that point i don't mind you doing your own research either so if people say oh you can't do dr google well if someone has told you you had something then feel free to Google it and learn about it. Yeah. And then you may find things that maybe this doesn't fit. Maybe there's questions that I'm going to have them follow up because they're saying this, this, and this, and I don't have this and this. Um, maybe you're going to learn other things that you can do for it. The, um, you know, the, the bit we've talked a little bit about movement and back pain thing. I don't know of a single medical condition, quite literally, I don't know a single one where movement is bad. None. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know the vast amounts of data that says movement is basically medicine. If we could put it in a pill, we'd be billionaires or trillionaires yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, so if anybody is telling you not to move, they better have a really, 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 really good reason and be able to actually provide you a list of references to support that because yeah. I can almost guarantee it's going to be wrong. There's, there's only one situation that would be reasonable. <laughs> An acute, unstable fracture. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't yeah. mean you can't move your arms if the the leg is fractured. Like you can still move other parts of your body. And when you're saying like the whole don't like there there might be more um, wise strategies for movement or how to progress, how to adapt your body. Like those are really good like questions and like you know work on those answers. But no movement at all. Um, that got one of my patients in trouble because the spouse thought telling him not to move after surgery was a smart idea. Well, nope, he got a pulmonary embolism, almost killed him. So there you go. Um, yeah, we're the meant body to... hates it when we don't move. I love. Yeah, yeah, that's... It's like a shark. You're supposed to keep moving. <laughs> you got to keep moving that water through the gills. You know, like that's right. I don't, it's it, there's a reason for that. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to mention just because a. Uh, little stories I think are always interesting that that Ikaria the blue zones that I watched recently the guy was told oh you're gonna die in six months or whatever and then realized that you know you know I moved to the U.S. and I don't want to die here I want to die over there and then you know 15 years later he's still alive and but his lifestyle completely changed his health status and biomarkers all changed um, and cancer never killed him so, you know, the big question is what happened? Um, but the point is, is that people might give you a death sentence or tell you you can't do this or that. And there's some things that are within reason. But um, like you said, I think that's the hardest part for all of us is that we are humans that have tried to understand the human body the best we can. And we might give, you know, our our best guess as to what's going on or best guess at like what to like do to help it but like you said we're not infallible like there there are some things that are a little bit of a gray area um and you really want that physician just to rule out the definitive acute things that could kill you like right then and there um but you take with a grain of salt when it comes to these chronic things or these things that a little more mysterious, or you maybe just need to be patient and give your body time to resolve whatever weird manifestation you have. Um, so I, I, 
I just, I think that there's so many, um, we get ourselves into trouble when we get impatient and we put all of our energy or belief in whatever that one person says when it's, it's not an acute situation. Yeah. And I think it makes, there's a don't, I would also then say you don't have a, um, what's the words I would use for this? I don't want to say overwhelming trust, but don't put you know all of your faith in the healthcare system, meaning that if you feel bad, the healthcare system is going to cure you. Like we said earlier, there's a lot of reasons to feel bad. There are very few of them that in that we can actually address in the healthcare system. Yeah. That's the way and, it is. Yeah. And if you're having trouble understanding their train of thought or why, or you don't feel like they care, like, I think asking why or trying to understand within reason, not just, oh, you're fine. Like help. sometimes you just need that anxiety, you know, eased and you need someone to help you understand from their perspective with all their experience. Why are they going down this path or why are they saying this? Like ask them, just say, I need help with feeling comfortable. Like I don't understand in terms that you can understand. Um, so and, 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 and approach that with curiosity and just right. you know because if someone says something that I think the hardest one for me is is when people will come in and you say what's going on and then they give you you know 15 minutes of nonstop of all the traumas and horrible awful things that are happening in their life and like either that's abuse or they got somebody in prison or the kids are doing drugs I mean like super super uncomfortable and you've ruled out all the bad stuff and then you want to say well maybe you got a lot of stress in your life because let's see how this actually interplay here. And then it's like, well, I know it's not the stress. And I'm like, really? Because just from hearing you, I'm stressed out and I think I'm hurting right now. Um, there, there's a, you know, stress, it's not, we're, it's, it's, you know, people say, well, you're being invalidated. It's not necessarily invalidated when you're recognizing the role that stress plays oh, in your physiology. Yeah. Yeah, And because someone brings that up doesn't mean they don't care. Actually, it means mean they actually care a lot that they're saying, oh, it's not this and you need to take, you know, because I, I, again, when we're talking about like navigating the healthcare system, people get these unsatisfactory answers from their physician and then they go seek it to have somebody to validate that they're sick. So again, I do a lot of chart review. I see a lot of these quote alternatives, these, you know, naturopaths or whatever. And you, you, I cannot believe how many horrible disease processes these people are quote unquote seeing, or at least diagnosing these people with based on normal labs. And it's, um, it, it having somebody to tell you you're sick because that's what you want to hear may feel better. Like you may actually like that better, but it certainly isn't great for your health. And so we, you know, being able to take a grain with a little grain with salt is to actually trust somebody to tell you what you don't want to know you know, or don't want to hear that. Yeah. Maybe your, your, your job is toxic or that your abusive spouse is actually impacting your physical and mental health. And there's something that you need to do there and you're not going to do it in a doctor's office. And maybe there's a lack of resources or, or something, but being able to hear the things that you don't want to hear. In fact, in your, your, your physician, similar to your, your uh, car mechanic should be comfortable in telling you News that you don't want to hear, like, oh, there's nothing wrong with your engine. It's your your tires or or something like that. Because literally, you 
if your physician, every time you go in and says, oh yeah, you're sick, here's what you need to do. Oh yeah, you're sick, here's what I'm gonna give you. Oh, here's your sick, here's some vitamins I'm prescribing on the side. Oh yeah, you're sick. You know what, I just got involved with this new shake company and, and here's the shakes that you can buy. Oh yeah, you're sick. Oh, you need these collating infusions every six months. Oh, but, you know, insurance doesn't pay for it, but um, it's cash and, and you can pay it all and you're gonna do it. That is not healthcare. Having people tell you only the things that you want to hear is not healthcare. That is not healthy. And so being prepared when you're navigating the healthcare to hear stuff that you may not want to hear and being able to accept that it can be, it can be hard. Yeah. And, and the reality is sometimes what you're told might not be accurate, even from a medical professional. And, you know, the thing is that if someone comes to you with confidence acts very confident about their answer. I mean, they still could be wrong. I mean, that's where the this whole thing is that um, you consider that the fact that they've ruled out major things and you wanna have confidence in that. It's rare, but occasionally someone might get it wrong. Maybe it just hasn't presented itself fully enough to fully like notice that there's a real problem, but it doesn't mean you, you know, don't listen to your body. You don't have to be like OCD about it, but you can just, you know, pay attention, give it time, see if anything, you know, progresses with, again, not being anxious filled or anxiety filled, but just respecting the body and, and paying attention to your own self. But I think there's, um, that's, that's the hard, that's the hard part is that you, you want to rule out stuff. Sometimes they get it wrong. But more times than not, they'll rule out the acute things. That well, are that's the sometimes they, they rule it out. And you go, a second opinion, there's no, absolutely no harm with a second exactly. opinion. I would all, you know, totally wreck. And particularly if you get a really devastating diagnosis or something, a second yeah, yeah. opinion is really good. Yeah. Occasionally, maybe necessarily a third opinion. The yeah. one thing I get worried about with the listener, you know, you know, listen, and if you still feel bad kind of thing is, mm -hmm. um, Again, and this is my bias because I've again, this is the stuff I've seen is the someone who's not the second or third or fourth, but it's the 16th opinion, mm -hmm. and they're seeking something that the 16 other people haven't said. Yeah, not necessarily, and it's not because what the 16 other people said was wrong, it's because it's not what they wanted to hear. And, um, that and and that is really, uh, that can be really, really challenging. You know, and and there's something else at that particular time, and um, at some point you got to you know that's after you know what's the what at what point does getting a referral become more harmful than it becomes beneficial? Sure, sure. No, I can see that. Um, I think the uh, I wanted to reemphasize, regardless if it's a physician or you go to some alternative or I don't even call it alternative. Like, complimentary whatever i don't um, i wouldn't even call i i don't even know what alternative it is it's it, i don't i don't even know how to label it anymore yeah well um, i think you know there's like there's traditional medical physicians and there's i don't know what you call us because i feel like we see things different than the traditional training when it comes to pain i do think there are some people that are really good with um people who have gi gut which obviously we know the gut's tied to the brain. And I think there are some things that we should be learning as, I think we should be learning the modern pain science as traditional physicians. I think there's a lot of things that we still haven't integrated into our medical training that even stress, like, well, but, but the, the, as, so there's, 
medicine is, is when we practice medicine, we're supposed to be practicing by evidence, right? Mm -hmm. And in the certain, when the, the, what I don't like about this alternative medicine kind of stuff is they're not practicing by evidence. It's an alternative, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, we have an episode on that. Yeah, and we and and here's the problem is, yeah, there's a lot of, quote, bad medicine where people aren't practicing by medicine, but we shouldn't be labeling that as different. Like in the pain world, most people in most pain clinics of the United States, if not the world, are not practicing by the evidence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't, you know, we're not alternative. We're actually medicine because we're actually practicing by facts and data and what the actual evidence says. Um, so I, I mean, I just want to just point that out because then, because then people say, "Well, you're alternative, or you're this, or you. we're not alternative. We're actually just we're we're, lo we're actually looking at the data and following what the evidence shows, not doing voodoo." Yeah, and there is voodoo in quote traditional medical care. I'll say that there's a lot of voodoo. That is being done, yeah. um, which is well, kind of the point of like recognizing how to navigate this stuff because you, there's you don't want to get the voodoo done to you. Yeah, which I have to bring up this point when you navigate the medical system, there's DOs and MDs that are considered equivalent in the, this country as traditional physicians or standard physicians, even though they say allopathic physician or allopathic medicine, osteopathic physician. It regardless, what's fascinating to me is I feel like when you go by the four principles of being a DO, to me it's it should be as if it it should be regardless physician-wise. Like you should be treating the patient as a whole person. All these systems are interconnected, like duh. Like there's some people that practice more holistically looking at the whole body, like, oh, your stress, your sleep, all these things that a lot of functional medicine and other integrative people are trying to incorporate like this is part of the human body people like this is to me medicine it's like telling a gardener the soil doesn't matter like yeah no we know that the food that goes in you is important but yet there are a lot of physicians out there too that laugh have actually had patients tell me that they laugh when they talk about it. it it doesn't matter you know what you eat i'm like who would say that someone yeah. who doesn't know exactly but they're <laughs> physicians you know so anyway to me it's not alternative at all or it's this is an integral part of someone's health um but i just think we see it better it's a little clearer and have more clarity but some people are wise enough and smart enough even if it's not trained in the tra traditional curriculum to know that this is important we're just getting more in evidence that's starting to come out but anyway well i don't i, I think that there's a lot of evidence saying proper diet is important that movement is important that stress reduction is important that avoiding of toxins is important and that sleep is important right like anybody who doesn't agree with that is not following like anything yeah um i, I would say there's all there are quite a few alternative people though that um that think they found something that haven't been found mm -hmm. and they've labeled something that hasn't been found and and those ones I get highly suspect on. That's I mean because they're it it yeah there's uh it, it's sort of similar to the interventions like the whole body MRI. It's like where's the data? Because that doesn't if you don't have the data, then you can't say what you want to say about it. Yeah. And um and I don't know then that and 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 this space outside of the traditional healthcare space. Uh, 
space, the space outside of traditional healthcare is preyed upon by people who find people who are dissatisfied with what we do. Right. And, um, and they exude confidence and then and they exude confidence and they can exude confidence because the vast majority of the time the human body is going to recover human bodies are amazing yeah. they're so remarkably resilient that's you know and that's part of the you know this thing with oh well there's no difference between x and y seeing you in wherever and it's not necessarily because there's no difference between x and y is because the vast majority of things that people present with and say in urgent care or in a in an initial visit when they feel sick or nauseous are going to get better they're self-correcting self-limiting things and it doesn't necessarily matter what you do mm -hmm. and um and I, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't have the background and training who have not gone to medical school and have not done residency and not done anything else and think that the human, that this is easy when what they're really mistaking is the fact that humans are remarkably resilient until they're not. And it's those knots that you need somebody who's got the training there. And it's those knots that you really want a good health system and you want to be able to navigate it to identify when those rarer not situations are so you can get the appropriate treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the challenges in navigating the medical system is there's so many nuances to all of this that even physicians can get trapped in this situation. Not oh, just totally lay people. <laughs> like, like I'm talking about physicians. So again, I, I'll bring up these physician groups I'm in mm -hmm. and people will put like, I'm having back pain. Da, 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 da. Holy crap. You would not believe the voodoo that, sp that spouts up in there. It is insane. Yeah. Like, oh, you need to do this, or you could do this. You should be getting an MRI right now. How long have you had it? Two days. But you should need you need PRP injections and da, 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 da. I do them in my office. Blah blah. It's like you guys are a bunch of freaking voodoo people. And then you'll see the one person who says, "Well, there's no data," and then people, ah, you're awful, hate you, blah blah blah. So I mean, it happens in the physician space too, where. Yeah. It would, they just people don't want to listen, but yeah, um, I guess that's not super hopeful on helping people navigate the space. My, wow. big, my biggest thing again, I, I think we and we talked about this a long time ago is treat healthcare like a raging river, right? You, you need to drink, and that's the only source of water. So you approach it very, very cautiously. You dip in with a cup, you pull out what you need, and then you leave. But you don't like throw, throw your whole body in or think, oh, I need lots. So I'm going to throw a bucket in on a rope and then get tagged, you know, pulled in. And then you basically get trashed against the rocks and thrown over the waterfall at the end. Don't do that. It's, the, it's, a, it's a raging river. Go in yeah. a little bit. Unless the you're water in a... that you need. <laughs> Unless you're in a major vehicle accident or something and you're unconscious and you have no ability to help yourself. Well, then people are spooning the water to you. So that should be safe, right? That, you know, but you're not jumping in headlong and you're certainly not letting someone pull you into it saying, oh, I'm going to, or not pull, push you in and say, oh yeah, you got to jump in that water right there. That's my water. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Man, I, I don't even know how long we've been going here. Um, but obviously this is a, Probably one of the bigger dilemmas of the modern age right now of medicine is is people struggling in a realm of lack of transparency of insurance, lack lack of understanding of how to like deal with this medical system and who to see and how to do it and whether you're a layperson or a physician. But um, you know, I I think we are getting to a place where the system is not um, it's broken in some ways. There's a lot of great people within the system working in a broken system. And 
sometimes you have to just advocate more than you think for yourself and and just rule out those major concerns because that's where your training you don't have that training if you're not a medical professional and then recognize how amazing our bodies are to heal themselves and self-correct and um, you can still pay attention to your body but not to the point where you you know you get to the point where you're you're driving yourself crazy um there are some mysteries out there that take time to you know and over time you might figure that out but in the meantime i mean it's not typically going to kill you um and any any add-ons to that i'd say just in general the most important part well while you're navigating any sort of thing in the healthcare system is to keep take care of yourself at the same time mm-hmm Movement is never going to be bad for you unless you have a fresh fracture and you're going to know that because there's going to be pain, swelling, and an onset of a mechan- you know, an onset, like you fell off a cliff and crashed, cupped your body. <laughs> uh, eating healthy foods, you know, low processed, high plant based foods is never going to hurt you. Getting adequate sleep is never going to ha- help or hurt you. Understanding and appreciating stressors in your life, whether it's relationship, financial, environmental, et cetera. And being able to mitigate those is never going to hurt you. And then finally, if you are then after having pursued those and you have an acute issue come up and you go into the healthcare system is know what it is that you're trying to get at. What's the question, the primary question that you have to answer? And again, I'm I'm not trying to sell anything because God knows this thing doesn't sell because I don't promote it at all. But if you want a really, really simple book on how to frame these questions, um, and I probably posted them somewhere too for free, but it's, it's like how to get what you need from your doctor's visit. And it's on Amazon and it's basically 70 pages and it just frames how to write down the questions that you need to answer when you're going into the doctor's office. And it should make it really, really easy for your physician. If you hear, if you hear those, it's just going to spare you a lot of time and, uh, and, and ideally help you navigate it a little bit easier from the get-go rather than fall into that raging river of healthcare. Yeah, and prevent harm. And prevent harm, without a doubt. Yeah, agreed. I think that was well-spoken, and maybe you should take us out. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us for another episode of the Change Physician Podcast, where our goal is to help you not only survive, but to thrive. And you do that by staying away from all this crap. Uh, As always, you can join us on Saturdays, most Saturdays, where we do a live feed out of Facebook, usually between 12 Pacific and 2 p.m. Central. Uh, And you can join the the community at thechangephysician.com. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.